hop in your modded DeLorean and let your mullet fly free again, because we're headed back to the golden age of video games to talk about the Atari 2600 and Yar's Revenge. This is Magecast, episode 33, Yar's Truly, where we're going to cover a span of gaming history over three decades long, and Atari's place in the grand scheme of the universe. For this episode, I've recruited a true expert, CJ, who you might better know as Cardiac Drop, someone closely familiar with Atari and Yar's Revenge. So stick around, you might learn something. I wanted to give a very special shout out to everyone who participated in our Sponsor a Monster event that just ended with October. Everyone who submitted a nomination and everyone who voted in the polls, thanks very, very much. It was a great Reader's Choice event and you can look forward to many more in the future at thewellreadmage.com. In fact, mosey on over there, it's funny when I say that because my name happens to be Moses, to thewellreadmage.com and why not subscribe by email in the right-hand sidebar or even turn on push notifications so you can get a little ding every time we publish something new. That way you won't miss a beat. Thanks also to everyone who checked out our new merch store on TeePublic where you can snag some hot threads and fresh duds for this podcast right here or any of the other podcasts and designs on display. And don't forget that MageCast and The Well-Read Mage are listener and reader supported. A single pledge of a dollar a month on patreon.com forward slash The Well-Read Mage may not seem like much, but to me it means the world, and your crowdfunding support enables this podcast and our site to keep reaching for the proverbial stars. If you're in a place where you can spare a dollar a month even, you can rest assured it'll go toward feeding a massive, rapidly growing global concept. Can we change the way that people think about games writing and the way we talk about games? Join with our movement and find out. Speaking of movement, it's time to get on with it and start the show. Hey listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of MageCast. Today we're going really retro for this episode, and I'm excited to make it our first Atari-themed episode in MageCast. It took us over 30 episodes to get to this golden age of Atari and discuss it, but I'm happy that we're here now. My special guest today, as mentioned, is the Atari enthusiast himself, CJ, also known as Cardiac Drop on Twitter, former streamer, retired paramedic, video game collector, retro gamer. This guy won the RGB high score event for the Super Nintendo. So I'm talking to a literal internet celebrity here, folks. Thanks for talking with me, CJ. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, that's quite the introduction. I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Uh, when it came to talk about an Atari game, you were the first person that came to my mind. Actually, something I wanted to mention today, I was just in a game store, and I saw that they were selling a uh, 5200, 5800? Wow. What was it? Is it 58 or it, 52? It, it's, it's a 5200. 5200. They wanted right. 100 bucks for it. Uh, new wow. inbox or not new inbox, but it was complete inbox. Uh, should I have bought it? What do you think? Well, it depends. Did it come? So it was complete inbox. You saying it was complete inbox? Uh, she didn't say that it had games with it. I forgot to ask. Well, you know, um, that's about ballpark. You know, the, the Atari Fifty Two Hundred Super System was uh, not a, a poor uh, system to pick out. It had a, a pretty decent sized a decently sized library of games to play on and i think you're pretty ballpark with that okay well, yeah. but i would want to make sure it works before you walk out of there with it that's true 
That's true. It's an old piece of equipment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I think that demonstrates that you're somebody who knows your stuff. <laughs> I know you're a collector. You've done your research. We've had a bunch of great conversations on Atari and such. Right. So I think this will be a great episode and informative one at that. Uh, so why don't we get a little more of a sense of who you are and what you're doing and ask you, what are you playing now? You can learn a lot about someone based on what they're currently choosing to play. Right, right. You know, my backlog is so huge. Um, it's I'm constantly, you know, looking for um, a reason to play games, and that, uh, that backlog just keeps growing. It's impossible to make a dent in it. But uh, uh, on, on uh, a modern system right now, I'm on PlayStation 4 going, uh, rerunning the Uncharted series, which is nice. uh, an action-adventure game that was put out by Naughty Dog. Um, it's one of my favorites. And then I'm, I'm always down to play some retro. I'm, I'm doing the, uh, retro game brew season three, nice. uh, which is uh Sega Genesis this season. And Are you going to win this one too? I'd like to, we've got some <laughs> stiff competition. Now there's some stiff competition, just like there was last year. Well, you, you aced it last year. I was looking at some of you guys scores that were at the top of the, the list there. I was just like, my goodness. There's a lot How? of fun. Yeah. A lot of, there's fun. a lot well, of fun. Yeah, you're a talented gamer, I can tell you that. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> and then I'm always, you know, I'm always got my hand in uh, in the Atari games and, you know, just rummaging through my collection and pulling out a handful of cards and throwing them in and just having a good time. Nice, nice throwbacks. So something that we threw out on Twitter recently was uh, a question about favorite Atari 2600 cover art. Right. Uh, we got some responses for this, and I was delighted to see a lot of really cool cover art there's something special i think about the cover art from this era mm. that sort of uh like a 60s through 80s science fantasy stuff that they put down and they're real paintings too that's kind of the mind-blowing thing about it that's just yeah. beautiful works of art so i asked you on twitter uh mm. what was your favorite piece of 2600 cover art there were a lot of great Atari artists, especially for original Atari boxes. Um, a lot of people don't know that Vanguard was painted by Ralph McQuarrie, who painted mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, if if anybody knows who Ralph McQuarrie is, he single-handedly uh, uh, painted all of the early art concepts for Star Wars. So, um, you know, Atari had that going for him. Uh, he, you know, it's it's tough to narrow it down. Yars Revenge is such a great... Uh, uh, has such great artwork, but uh, if I, you know, asteroids, uh, you know, uh, missile command, I, I'd say Rob Fallop's missile command is probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Um, so I mean, Atari, original Atari art is is just something that lent imagination to the game, and it kind of just the uh, the way that it was displayed on that front box was just mind boggling at times. It just literally works of art. Yeah, definitely. There's a book, um, Art of Atari. Do you own that one? I do. Um, it's written by a guy named uh, Tim uh, Lapatino. He's on Twitter. He's pretty active in the uh, in the gaming community too. He'll uh, loves to to talk Atari, talk Atari art. Um, there's actually two books that he that he authored. Uh, one is the the Art of Atari, and the second book is the Art of Atari. It's a more condensed version. It was a loot crate exclusive. Um, so, uh, I do own both of them and they are just amazing books. Yeah. That, that book looks just gorgeous. I'm definitely going to have to pick it up someday. Uh, I had a bit of a problem choosing a favorite 
as well. Uh, I'm not overly familiar, and just to get that out of the way for this podcast, I'm not overly familiar with the Atari 2600 and its library of games. I've only had one for a couple years now, and I'm building a collection for it. Recently got a fairly big bundle of games for it. Um, so there's a lot I'm still exploring, but I really do enjoy the cover art from the games on this system. Right now, I think Asteroids is probably my favorite cover art. Uh, it just looks looks gorgeous. It has such a that that uh, that retro vibe of science fiction yeah. that I just love. It, it really does. Um, I think we've talked before on Twitter about how impressed upon you that it almost was was Star Wars in quality. Um, uh, the way that it was uh, was designed. Yeah, no, absolutely. You kind of get uh, a sense of that that first shot in Star Wars when this massive spaceship flies over the top of the screen. You right. get to see the undercarriage of the Star Destroyer. And when I was a kid, I thought that spaceship just went on forever. Sure. It looks so so like you're there. It's so immersive and and, and jaw dropping. And I it's think they nice. captured some of that in Asteroids. No, absolutely. Um, you know, outside of original Atari art, um, I think uh, in uh, something that I'm working on right now is uh, a complete inbox uh, Imagic set for the 2600. There were 16 games, uh, 17 if you count um, Atlantis. It was uh, had its cover redesigned twice: once with a day scene, once with a night scene. And those were all uh, original um, artworks from uh, from a guy named Michael Becker, who was the art director at Imagic. And uh, those uh, were some of my favorites of the era. So, and Magic, that's the, those are the carts with the kind of horizontal rainbow lines on them? Right. And the cart uh, had sort of a special design in front. It almost looked like a, like a pull handle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've got a couple of those. I, I think they're, they're, that's a really nice style. It's yeah. really neon sort of. Uh, electric, like what you think of when you think of the eighties. It, uh, it reminds me a lot of um, the work of Jack Kirby, but uh, yeah, just some gorgeous art from the, from this this era. Amazing uh, stuff. Yeah, even though I wasn't playing video games in nineteen eighty two, it still has this uh, evocative sense of sure. Americana uh, distilled to it. Maybe that's pumping it a little too high. I don't know. No, no, you know. And it's never too late. Some of us were playing games at that time. I'm not going to date myself, but it's <laughs> never too late. But I there's and there's part of me that really envies that, that envies the, uh, I mean, dis, let's dispense with ageism as a culture and as a society. I think it's sure. ridiculous because you, different people get to experience different things at different times and at different ages. And right. to me, missing out on the golden age, of <laughs> Uh, home consoles and on uh, the golden age of arcades, especially I'm a big arcade fan and yeah. missing out on that is something that um, I find regrettable. Uh, so there's a part of me that wishes I was born sooner so I could, you know, be there when Pac-Man launched and things right, like right. that, you know, it's, and it's a feeling that's never left me. I'll tell you that, um, from time to time while I'm playing. And I, I, I try to share that enjoyment with, uh, with my kids uh, who are more into Nintendo Switch than they mm -hmm. are Atari. But, um, yeah, you know, especially my son, I try to share that experience with them because there's a feeling, just like you said, that's more than nostalgic that I relate um, to that era. It was my baptism by fire into video gaming and, 
you know, uh, I'm glad that I experienced it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so oh, we got a lot of cool responses, um, about different cover art, a lot of sci-fi. Um, my favorite era for sci-fi is probably the sixties. And so yeah. there's a lot of still like residual, uh, retro hokiness, you know, with rockets and bubble, uh, helmets on astronauts and things like that. Um, little laser guns with red rings around them and things like that. But I love that aesthetic. So uh, you said the so 1960s? Yeah. I'll tell you, um, there's a there's an Atari game uh, based on the 66 film Fantastic Voyage. And yeah. I've, tweet, I've tweeted about this. Um, that is uh, was, for me, um, a nostalgic pickup. I just found the complete in-box mint um, cartridge, box, manual. Couldn't believe it when I found it. Yeah, one of my favorites from the time period and one of my favorite movies. So it's funny that you said that. It's, uh, it was quite a time period for movie making. Yeah. I mean, some of my favorite films come from the, from the 60s uh, in sci-fi. I think it was when it was really starting to, you know, find its its footing and, right. and uh, come up with this great aesthetic that I just love. So we got mentions of... Moon, Moon Patrol and Berserk, uh, mm -hmm. Vanguard, Missile Command, Asteroids, Defender, Stargate, Defender 2, Raiders. Um, but someone by the handle of uh, at Police Limit on Twitter left this comment that you and I both thought was pretty observant. Uh, they said, Box art and cartridge art was more important due to the limited graphics capabilities of the 2600. That art coupled with the mini comic books included with the game, was part of a more tactile, immersive experience that I'm not sure current gamers can understand. So this comes after a tweet I saw, and I couldn't find it again and get the name of the person who made this observation, but they said something like, uh, games back then, you got a map, you got a manual, sometimes a mini guidebook, an art book. These days... You open up a, a new game and it's like, oh, there's the disc. So <laughs> uh, games right. back then, you got to have this, you know, like a comic book. That's awesome. Right. So I actually found the uh, the comic book. It's on Atari Age. I'll leave a link to it in mm -hmm. the description of the podcast. It's called the Cotile Ultimatum. And it kind of uh, describes uh, the background of this game and gives it some narrative context. So that's really cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I visited that site quite a bit. Those manuals, uh, I mean, I've tweeted about this incessantly on, on, on Twitter uh, of how complete that made the package when you purchased one of these games. That that was part of the draw mm -hmm. to, to, to buying the game. You see, you, would, you saw this awesome cover art on, on the front of the box. And then, you know, um, if it came with a comic book, I mean, that was just an extra thrill. I know Atari Force comic books were in a handful of games. Um, and that was just a thrill to get that. And then the manual. I mean, the manual, all of them, had a brief story hmm. which tied together that imagination of, uh, you know, what you two were to do in the game. I mean... That, I think that's what part of Atari's magic was. It always played a role in effectively planting like a seed of imagination in the kid or in the player's mind about what that game represented. And you got that feel from the manual and some of the comic books that came with the games. And that is, I think, what brought those games to a whole new level 
of you know the game's concept and, and kind of brought it to life. Because you 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 had to be able to project your uh, your ideas, your imagination onto uh, these very minimalistic graphics. So I was playing Yars mm -hmm. uh, throughout the week. Uh, it's no secret now, though. <laughs> this mm -hmm. is uh, episode 33. We're talking about Yars Revenge, 1982, developed by Howard Scott Warshaw and published by Atari uh, Inc. And we wanted to give a special shout-out to Atari on Twitter, at Atari. Um, they liked and retweeted our talks about setting up this Yars podcast. Right, So that's really cool. They didn't have to do that. They went out of their way to show um, a little something to the fans. So that yeah. was cool. Hats off to Atari. We appreciate that a lot. Yes. So, but as I was saying, um, you kind of had to bring something to uh, the visuals in this era. Um, the first games I remember playing were on the Commodore 64. Mm -hmm. And same sort of thing. You had to kind of bring a sense of uh, imagination here. And so having the comic books, having the manuals, having this gorgeous, the paintings, the art uh allowed you to um ascribe personhood and personality to what are essentially just colored blocks on the screen mm -hmm. um and now you don't have so much of that anymore because <clears throat> games are so expressive now and they have so much uh capability to you know do things like uh facial animations and capture real actors performances right. um that you don't have to have that relationship with games anymore uh, unless in the indie scene that that store still survives, um, but having that relationship with the game where you have to bring something to it is something that really fascinates me about this era. I agree, and a lot of and a few of Atari's early hits, which are classic vintage games, Asteroids, Yars Revenge, one frame, one screen games, but they were still in depth. Howard Warshaw is credited with saying in in uh, in his book. And in the talk that he gave, uh, I think at one of the cons, that uh, what makes Atari games great? And his concept was very simple. And I think that carries through in a lot of the more brilliant games that were developed by Atari. Um, fuel rules and a tremendous play space. So you had a, a game that was uh, easy to learn easy to play and difficult to master, but it, it allowed that player to uh, reinvent themselves on different strategies in that single space. So, you know, take, take for instance, you know, asteroids, you're spinning around, you're, you're shooting these color blocks that uh, are supposed to be asteroids on, on the screen. They, you know, it, the, 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 the player in, innovates himself on different strategies within that small confined space with these very simple concepts mm -hmm. um i think that's what makes atari games and, and and games in general great i think if you get too complicated um it just kind of kind of washes it out he, he he talked about the stark the, the 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 stark contrast between an action game and an adventure game in an action game he he, he said that you know the dev the developer you know, with the programmer, he, he has the same gameplay experience as the player every time he plays it, right? Because mm -hmm. it's an action game. You know, you're on, on the screen. You're trying to uh, make your way through, uh, you know, an asteroid belt and asteroids or, uh, you know, um, this interstellar 
war in Yars, Yars Revenge. In an adventure game, the de developer can never have that uh, that same feeling that the player is going to have because he knows all the secrets beforehand hmm. that the player is going to find out. So for me, I think Atari's action games were by far the ones that really stood out and made that system what it was. Hmm. That's very interesting. So Yars is an action game then, right? Not an adventure game. No, I mean, first of all, and there was someone I think that asked if, and I'm maybe skipping too far ahead in the conversation. Oh, if, there was a right. kill, yeah. if there was a kill screen in, right. in Yars, there isn't. You can, like Asteroids, flip the score if you get high enough. If you get up to 999.999, you can flip it. There is a, there's no, there's no kill screen like there was okay. in Donkey Kong for Nintendo. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it is an action game. It's very fast. There's a lot of different concept in, concepts in Yard's Revenge that, uh, that are going on at once. First of all, you have this, this and again, I, I hope not to skip it too far ahead. No, don't worry about it. <laughs> you, okay. You know, you have this, this, this ion belt on the front, which by the way, is made up of code. The ion belt that you see in the center of the screen in Yara's Revenge is the actual code of the game. Really? Okay. Yeah. So let's kind of get a sense of the, the the screen of the game, what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got this black screen that's divided in the center by this barrier, kind of a force field looking thing. Right. And this is what you're talking about. This is It's displaying the code of the game. Well, that's right. That ion field in the center of the screen is actually the code for the game. And ah. Warsaw, what he did was he, he was looking for a way to um, be innovative and also it was a cheap way to use graphics. He pulled them out of the registrants room on the screen and it was it was a nice little Easter egg and that actually is the code for the game that runs right down the middle of the screen. That's fascinating. So then uh, that sort of serves, it seems like, as a kind of safety zone uh, in mm -hmm. the middle of the screen, you can't shoot out of it once you maneuver into it. Right. Um, and then there's a, kind of a homing missile that will follow you around the screen that also can't harm you when you're in there. That's correct? Yeah, that's a co-tile, though. That is, the, that is the enemy. That is the monster, if you will, that comes out of the, um, the cannon's barricade to attack you. Okay. Um, there's also a drone that follows you around to mark you. Right, now, I think that's what I'm referring to is the drone. Okay, the drone. It's the small little line that follows yes, you around yes, on the yes. screen. That's yeah. the drone, right? Oh, okay, i got to get all the terms right for this. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, and then you play as what's known as a, a Yar right. from the race of the Yars, uh, right. which I learned from the comic book, uh, are descendants of houseflies. Uh, a housefly or several houseflies was taken up into space um, right. where there was some kind of you know, fantastical explosion with radioactive things happening, and they were the houseflies were transformed into this new uh, race, this new alien race called Yars. Um, and I just love the way this comic looks. You guys will have to check it out um, mm -hmm. if you're at all curious. It's beautifully illustrated. Um, but it's very much, it reads like, um, you know, mid-1900s Pulp Fiction. It's it's so <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> um, and there's a section here where 
it's it's like and i read it in in kind of that early radio voice as and indeed our powers are extraordinary <laughs> we can fly freely from planet to planet we can devour any substance and convert it into energy missiles powerful enough to vaporize solid rock uh, I, I love the vibe of this. Comic. Yeah, so you got to do audio books, Mage. <laughs> Just in that voice. I'm sure that'll get Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, it, yeah, it kind of gives you the backdrop then of what this race is. So you're not playing as a fly. Right. Uh, but you're playing as uh, a Yar from the race of the Yars. And right. Yars' revenge then is um, them... Uh, seeking vengeance against the Kotile that destroyed their planet, Razak 4, uh, if I got that right. That's right. Okay. So, yeah, there's there's kind of the premise of the game in there, too. So, uh, back to what we were talking about, the screen, then. Mm-hmm. Um, you, as the Yar, can move around, and then on the far side of the screen, you have this large uh, structure of some right. sort. Right, so to the left of the screen is where the R originates, and the, down the center of the screen is the ion zone, and that's that free zone where you can't be harmed. And then towards the right of the screen is where the barricade is with the ion cannon, and that's where the Kotile lives. And what's good what about this game, what makes it um, the, the player act, uh, become more involved is what Howard wanted to do is he wanted to have... Two things happen. He wanted the player to feel vulnerable and gain strength as the enemy did the same. So if you notice in yards, what you have to do is you have to come over to the right of the screen. You have to nibble away at that barricade. And that's going to bring up and earn you that super weapon to shoot to ultimately get that big payoff, which is that large full screen explosion that you got. Okay. But by the same token, when that enemy... Um, comes out and ejects and tries to kill you, that's when it's at its most vulnerable as well. Mm. So if you, by the way, toward the bottom half of the screen, shoot the Kotile in midair during an attack, you'll unlock Howard's Easter egg, which is a back, is his initials HSW, and then WSH backwards, which was a play on words uh, for how he actually authored the name of this game. Right. So, uh, and that's part of, okay, so like how did he get the name Yar or Yars, right? I read that it mm-hmm. was... Ray Kassar, uh, who yes. was the CEO at Atari at the time. Yes, but backwards. That's right. So Ray, Yar, backwards, and then also the Rasik Rays. Was his name backwards as well? Right, their planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he told somebody in marketing. Um, Howard has has said this in his book and in during um, convention speaks and stuff like that. That he actually went to a marketing a marketing guy and he swore to secrecy and he told him this is what they want to name the game and they, he kind of conned Atari into naming it this before it was too late and then the marketers just loved it and they rolled with it. But the time Ray Kassar <laughs> actually found out about it. He said uh, to 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 Warsaw. He said uh, Warsaw. He said uh, uh, stick to making games and, and less to marketing. So <laughs> he wasn't is, too appreciative of this his is a, name being backwards, huh? which is unbelievable because this game is a flagship game for Atari. It's it's yeah. the the greatest selling twenty six hundred original title of all time. 
Hmm. Which I thought was interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, doing some research, I read, yeah, that it was the best-selling 2600 exclusive. And right. that's really, yeah, that's interesting. So, And uh, one in three, and, and, and I read an article not too long ago, that one in three households who had a video game machine at the time, um, one in three households uh, had an Atari system, and one in nine households owned this game when it came out. So it was it was pretty dang common. Uh, yeah. I checked my my collection. I actually don't own this game, uh, but oh. I I have it on. Well, I I own it, but I don't have a <laughs> I don't have a physical cartridge. We're gonna have to uh, change that. Is what to I meant. That. Ah, well, I'll pick it up eventually. <laughs> but uh, I have the Atari um, collection uh, volume one oh, on uh, PS4. Yeah, which I think is a lovely um, collection. It's got Centipede on it, which is my all-time favorite arcade game. Okay. I play a lot of Centipede on there. But, um, yeah, I really enjoy playing this game and uh, getting to learn more about it. So before we kind of jump into gameplay, we'll come back to gameplay here in a minute. I'm I'm glad we touched on sort of the premise and the story of it to kind of provide a little background again because – um, to somebody just maybe jumping into this game for the first time without really knowing what they're doing, separate from uh, the manual and the comic and all that, uh, it's kind of hard to understand what you're supposed to be doing, um, right? Because there's uh, the instructions aren't necessarily on this on the screen. At least I didn't encounter any. But no. but at the same time, it's it's a shooter. Um, so you you know you're supposed to you know attack this large enemy, but how exactly to do that is something that I think is is really interesting. But we'll get to that. What I do want to ask you is when did you first play this game, and uh, do you remember kind of your first impressions? Yeah, I do. See, like I said, my my baptism into video gaming, so to speak, before the Nintendo explosion, was Atari. Um, many of my friends growing up in the neighborhood had uh, in televisions. Um, I, I was the Atari guy, so we kind of swapped off. But there was a, a store uh, uh, here in the Northeast called Child World. They're long gone. Mm-hmm. And they were a department store, kind of like Sears or Toys R Us. And my dad used to take me and my brother for good grades or when new games come out, if we did something that, uh, you know... Um, merited getting a new game um he would take us there and he'd let us each get a game and i remember going to child world that that week the week that after it came out because it was a kid in my class who who had the game and i went over his house and i saw it and i i had to have it so i i think it was like within the first one first two weeks that the game was out that i that i conned my dad to buy it for me and i have my original copy still Wow, brand new. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I do have a sealed copy that I won't open. I have my original childhood played copy and several other loose copies that I play from time to time. That is cool. Um, yeah, hanging on to that 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 piece from childhood is really awesome. Like it really when is. I was talking to Mike uh, from Controller Throwers, how he found his cartridge from another world. Uh, or out of this world, rather, uh, yeah. the Super Nintendo version after all those years. That's amazing. That's really cool, hanging on to it after all that time. Yeah. So, um, 
I can't remember the first time I played it as well. It was probably on the Atari uh, Collection Volume 1, so that would have been just a handful of years ago. Okay. Um, it was a game that I was drawn to because of the title, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that there's a kind of mystique to it. You're like, what the heck is a Yars? Was, <laughs> was my right. question, you know, right? Right. Um, and it's plural. A lot of people misspell it when they type it. Right. It's plural, yeah. It's it's like you said, it's about a a, a yar race, not just one individual character. Yeah, a single yars. It's the race's revenge, the yars yeah. race. Right. Um and so getting into it then and looking at a, a little bit of the art, um I love the the art for this game. It you know, you get this this beautiful chrome uh fly creature. Right. Um, centered right in the in the in the middle of this piece. And so the, that's why I was kind of drawn to drawn to play uh, Yar's Revenge. But then getting into it, uh, I played it for a little bit and found out that I suck at it. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to. Um, well, just, have... you know, that's the concept of an Atari game. Easy to pick up easy to try easy to play difficult to master. Right. And so it wasn't like there's there's a great dividing line here right it it wasn't it was hard because there was too much to learn so it's not like um like i've introduced some people to uh to chess like you know everybody knows what chess is but some people don't know how to play chess so i've taught my little brother um how to play chess and certain so on various people but one of the difficult things about chess is there's so many rules to remember right each piece moves differently uh, than the others, and so on and so forth. But uh, with a game like Yar's Revenge, it's not that there are too many rules to remember. Uh, it's it's something a little different, and I have a tough co time kind of putting my finger on it. Well, I think that's what Howard touched upon, and he used that same example when he discussed um, what makes Yar's Revenge and Atari games in general great games and that's the premise that there are fewer rules mm -hmm. okay so and he used chess as an example now you just said that chess has a lot of different different rules but those rules never change within the game right and there's this there's this large area to play within so strategy comes into effect mm -hmm. it's the same way with this game when you first put it in there's there's not uh uh I think there's a slight learning curve, but once you get the basic concepts down where you know where you can be safe in the middle of the screen, mm -hmm. you know how to earn the secret weapon, and you know mm -hmm. how to take down the boss every screen, right. then it just becomes rinse and repeat. What enhances that gameplay is that it becomes more of a frenzied gameplay as those levels progress. Right. So, uh, and I totally agree with what you're saying here. The core rule set, of fly across the screen, uh, chip away at the barrier, you know, dodge attacks, and right. then activate your big gun and and space yourself to shoot. I shot myself down first time, and I still do shoot myself down because <laughs> it's a matter of there's a sense of the timing and a sense of the space uh, and the patterns of movement there that you need. And you to got that elaborate on. death scene by doing so. That's that was a payoff for you as well. Oh, dude, the first time I, I blew up the Kotal, the enemy, mm -hmm. and the entire screen exploded, 
Yeah. I was kind of blown away. First time <laughs> in an Atari game. That's yards is all all about first. First time that ever happened. Yeah, For- it's a, a full screen explosion. Mm-hmm. That's just a, a a massive array of colors. Uh, it, it yeah. I still the money shot, so to speak. Right, yeah. I <laughs> still found it arresting. Um, well, I, and I'll tell you, and this is the first game that offered a pause mode, too. So if this was a game that sort of got out of hand, and that was kind of unheard of for Atari mm-hmm. games back then. Right. If you had if you had to get up and, and, and go to the bathroom, you risked that high score every time, you know, mm-hmm. or you had to dump your controller off to your sibling or your friend that might have been sitting there waiting to play. Um, Yaz offered that, that, that pause, which was great. Mm. So and that's very and that much kind of... different from, uh, the arcade scene, which was yep. dominant at the time. Right. So that I makes so, sense. Yeah. That's why you didn't have a pause screen, you know? And you know, Yaz almost became a coin up. You're talking about that arcade scene. It almost did. It never made it. Uh, no V, uh, no, no, no VCS or, or, or game, original game ever made the jump. But it was under serious consideration for a long time. And so I Almost read also it. that this was um, originally supposed to be a port of the arcade game Star Castle. That's right. Have you played that? I have, and it's terrible. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I think Howard thought the same thing. I think I thought you know he, he said that it, it would have sucked, and he wanted to manipulate the gameplay and develop something completely new. And right. this was the brainchild of that. And looking at Star Castle, there's a sense in which probably the 2600 couldn't do something exactly like this. But it's clever that uh, the developer thought in terms of what would be the best fit for the limitations of the 2600. Right. And that, to me, is one of the most interesting things about retro game development in that they had to think in very specific play fields. They had to think in very specific limitations and think creatively on how to deal with those limitations, in some cases on how to highlight those limitations and make them you know, more interesting or hide the limitations. Um, yeah. But I think that doing that with with Yar's Revenge, if we just got a straight up port of Star Castle, like you said, I haven't played it, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it probably would have yeah, been yeah, just a terrible port. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably would just would have been a terrible port. But instead, we got, you know, this nineteen eighty two hit, the the best selling uh twenty six hundred exclusive. And mm-hmm. here we are, what, over thirty years later talking about it still. So that's great. Absolutely. So I have to agree, though, with uh, Chase Mad Gamer, who uh, mentioned, I remember playing this game and getting so mad I couldn't get anywhere in it. And that was kind of my early experience with Yars and trying right. to figure out, again, figure out its basic rules. Um, but once you get that, then it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't change its rules. Um, so what is the objective? How does this game um, move forward? Uh, you mentioned earlier that there's no kill screen. That was a question from Playjack Sayback on Twitter. Right. Um, so what is what does playing yours look like? How do you progress? What is what are some of the changes in the levels and and the basic objective of the game? Well, basically, it's to sort of just advance the regeneration of the puzzle, which is varies very little. 
um, to advance throughout the different screens. Now, the concept remains the same. It just becomes a more frenzied gameplay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Howard was aiming to do, is, is build an action game where fundamentally the rules of the game may frustrate the player, but didn't disorient them. Mm-hmm. So you were still, you were still in the same mindset, uh, mindset rather, um, to continue playing. Um, he kind of wanted people playing this game to have what he refers to as a uh, a master stroke. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that you would hit that sweet spot in the game where you get in a rhythm and you'd be able to develop different strategies because you're not restricted on the screen. You know you can fly up to the top of the screen and reappear down the bottom. Yes. Or, yeah, so that, you know, many of those variables would come into play, obviously, as the screen became uh, and the game became more frenzied as it went on. I think the concept frame to frame remains the same, and it just becomes a battle of wits against the computer uh, who's going to get the quickest kill. Yeah, so a couple of the things that that um, stunned me kind of in playing this is that, yeah that ability to move upward and appear at the bottom of the screen or vice versa, uh, and then the speed of the game. Um, there are some old games, as you and I both know, that are slow, um, yeah. even action games where you feel like you're mashing a button. And you're like, well, darn it, shoot already. Right. Uh, or even your your character just has this really sluggish speed, and it's just the pace of the game and how it was developed. But Yars has very much what I thought to be um, an arcadey kind of speed to it, right? Where your your character can really just fly across the screen, and you have to take very fast maneuvers to avoid the swirl when it comes at you, and you know the drone and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it almost it gets to a point where the, it, it will overtake you. Now, I, I mean, I haven't seen videos. I have never seen anybody get very far in this game up in the 800,000s like they're claiming on on some of these uh, sites where people are saying, you know, I, I got up 800,000 in yards. It's just, uh, there's no way. My that top like score is about 30,000. Okay. And then it just my hands melted. Yeah. And I've been playing this game for over 30 years. So So does it get <laughs> exponentially faster then? Just It does. It gets to the point where it's blindingly fast. Okay. And I mean never mind a kill screen. I I can't imagine anybody flipping the score in this game. Hmm. Well, I wonder if anybody has ever heard of someone legitimately doing it. I'd like uh, to see it. Yeah, if so, uh, let us know. We're definitely interested in that. Uh, this was a comment from the War in Our Star on Twitter uh, who said, Yars was the greatest game on the 2600, really an early teacher for time management, spatial placing, and objective assertion. Basically, mm. don't get greedy, run away the shortest distance, and right. do you want points or to be done? Uh, That's perfect. Yeah, I thought that was just a fascinating comment. Uh, objective assertion. I'm not exactly sure what they mean there, but uh, I'd like to hear that unpacked. Um, spatial placing is definitely something uh, that I thought was important. Again, I kept shooting myself, so you have to have this this sense of how fast can I move out of the way of this cannon? Uh, when's the most opportune time? 
opportune time to do it and so on. And that's part of some of the exciting gameplay as well, because not only do you, do you have to get out of the way, you sort of have to arc your shot to hit the enemy just right. Mm-hmm. And that, that can, can be frustrating for the player, especially when the levels start getting faster as you progress. Right, because the enemy moves up and down vertically right. across the, the right side of the screen. And you've got to fire your super weapon across the screen. And that drone is on top of you the entire time. Right. Uh, so <laughs> you can see how with just a few simple uh, items, you know, you've got your super weapon, you've got yourself and your little cannon, you've got the barrier, the drone, and the enemy. Right. And those, I mean, what is that, like six things? Uh, but out yeah. of those basic materials you get a game that apparently has a lot of gameplay depth to it. I've not been very far in it. Um, You've certainly been much farther than I have. Uh, But the fact that it can baffle people like us who have been playing games for years uh, is amazing. It's astounding. Uh, Yeah, it's just one of those fast Twitch games, you know? Yeah. Where you're really... Glued to the screen, and the action is the action is frenzied, um, and it becomes more and more intense to progress throughout the game. I mean, you know, some other apps, uh, the titles were like that a lot um, on, on the Atari Two. Take uh, like Kaboom from Activision. Do you ever play that? That's the one with the dropping bombs. Yeah, yeah. and okay. you use the paddle and you collect them in the bucket. Yeah, that I've gets not to played point, it on the paddle. Uh, that gets to a point where it's just incredibly too fast on screen it's impossible (laughs) which i always picture as the developers laughing at you (laughs) yeah and that's part of the charm too i mean growing up we really believed that we could beat these games Uh uh-huh you know yeah you know i love that yeah okay so uh we mentioned howard scott shaw a couple times already but to uh, get into discussing him a little more, you mentioned the Easter egg that he put in, his initials forwards and then backwards. Right. Um, He's not, incidentally, he is not the first Atari dev to uh, use an Easter egg. The first one was Warren Robinette. That's in Adventure. Adventure, right. Which is interesting because we actually almost talked about Adventure for this episode. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, you recall that, right? And You'll have to invite me back for a second. Well, I will. I'd be delighted to. We'll talk about adventure. <laughs> um, but uh, at the last minute, I was like, you know what? Yars. I'm feeling some Yars. So we decided to talk about Yars instead. But yeah, adventure is famous for that that Easter egg. Yeah. And Howard put put one in, too. If you hit the, 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 um, the co-tile... Uh, at the bottom of the screen in mid-flight, um, you'll you'll unlock that Easter egg. So you've had, uh, have you had the, the opportunity to see him at any conferences or you've had conversations never, with him? Yeah, you know, I've never met him in person. Mm-hmm. It's something that I wanted to do. Um, uh, he was just at the Portland uh, Gaming Retro Gaming Expo. Mm-hmm. He gave a talk. I would have loved to have, have gone to that. Um, mm-hmm. I've never met him. I've spoken to him, well, you know, tweeted with him Mm -hmm. is a better way to put it. Um, He's absolutely hands down my favorite uh, retro developer, gamer, and game programmer um, from the Atari era. Um, He's responsible for two of my favorite games on the Atari 2600 and the Elephant in the Room E.T. 
E.T. <laughs> and, and he embraces that. He, I've heard him say, um, conferences that I've seen videos of, that he embraces that because that makes him, he thinks, the to have the, the widest uh, spectrum of any game developer in history because he's credited with having the most successful Atari 2600 and most popular and widely sold uh, original 2600 game of all time and the worst one. Hmm. That's that's interesting. It probably takes a unique individual to recognize that and be honest about that. Right. Uh, there's a question here from uh, the Retro Game Brews, who said, "What are your thoughts on Howard Scott Shaw, and does he deserve the hate he got over the years over ET? And is ET really that bad for a game right. created in six weeks? Your thoughts, sir." It's actually five weeks. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's actually five weeks, but that's okay. Um, yeah, you know, uh, retro game brews question two Potter, excellent question. Uh, I've 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 said it before. I'll say it again. Howard's my favorite game dev of all time of the Atari twenty six hundred era, um, for sentimental reasons, like the games that we're talking about today, and 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 just. Uh, uh, I don't think that he deserved to answer the second part of that question. I don't think he deserved the hate that uh, that he got. He had literally five weeks to develop this game. Mm -hmm. He tried to give more um, imagination and breath to this game when he, when he did develop develop it. Um, it was just, I think, the concept uh, was poorly designed in um, instructing the player on how to play it. I mean, you especially when you started falling into the pits playing this game and you just you couldn't figure anything out um the manual was of a little help hmm. um and it came at a time where uh atari was starting to to they were on the decline and the crash was imminent they're not responsible for it i don't think solely but uh et had a little bit of a hand in that but hmm. you know a lot of the people that give it a lot of hate a lot of these new gamers uh and, and, you know, call them millennials, call them new gamers and stuff like that, have never played E.T. Mm -hmm. They're jumping on the bandwagon. Mm -hmm. They saw Microsoft and Xbox go out to the dump and dig up, dig up all the cartridges, of, what, a few years back, and mm -hmm. they got all this kind of negative press and, and stuff like that. E.T. is not the worst game that is, was ever made. If you want some terrible games, I, I definitely compile a list of, at least 50 games and posted on Twitter that were far worse than ET. Yeah. But it is the worst in the cultural zeitgeist. So that's that, that's exactly yeah, that, that is true. Yeah, that's what you're saying right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, yep. I'm I'm big on forming an opinion based on your own experiences. Uh you know, you can have all the YouTubers in the world yelling to tell you how awful a game is. Mm -hmm. I've actually played ET uh for myself. I own it popped it in what one day think? yeah and i thought that it was just repetitive just doing it the is. same thing over and over again i didn't think it was fun um it's not the worst game that i've ever played i it's not broken that's for one thing and, and, and you're right it, it's not fun yeah no it's, it's, it's just, not a fun it's just game. not fun but but well here's the thing right i've played games where i've turned them on and they don't work uh, they either stop yeah. working after the title screen or there's a game-breaking glitch that doesn't let me finish the game. Right. That's worse, to my mind, because that doesn't... It isn't even the product that I purchased, a game. 
ET right. is at least a game that functions. Now the function of it, I think, is awful and tiresome and wearisome. It is. Um, you know, where you're just having to mash the thing. The thing that's even worse about it is it happens to be based on this hugely iconic nostalgic and, film. And I was just gonna say that. I don't mean to cut you off. No, I was no, just no. going to say that. This was a huge undertaking for Howard. Right. He had done it with Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it was christened, so to speak, by Spielberg. And now this is just another huge undertaking. Here's a guy that was had already developed Yars and was living off the success of that and some of the praise he got for Raiders. Now here comes this huge Hollywood IP dropped on his lap. E.T., huge, big movie. Yeah, one of the defining movies Ata- of Ata- Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And Atari says to him, you got five weeks <laughs> to pump this game out before Christmas. I can't even put Christmas lights up on my own house in five, in five weeks. weeks. Yeah. So one, one thing this I, guy developed a game. Yeah. One thing I would like to ask somebody um, is – how good of a game do you think you could make in that period of time for something as iconic as E.T.? They should have given him the amount of and Right. They should have given him the same amount of time that they gave him on the other games, yeah. which I know for a fact took him 10 months yeah. because he's gone on record as saying that. Okay. The average game, and especially the ones that he worked on, were developed over the period uh, over a period of 10 months. Right. Which That's is a significantly, a significantly enough... Uh, uh, a different amount of time as opposed to five weeks. Five weeks. Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. I can't believe it. I, I mean, can't even believe it went to marketing and was produced in that amount of time. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you look today, some games are taking like, you know, eight, six, eight years to develop. Uh, right. Ten, ten, <laughs> what'd you say? Ten months? Ten weeks? Ten, ten months. Ten months. Ten months to develop a game. Ten months. Which, by the way, was only, what, four kilobytes of memory? Right. And when ten months seems like a reasonable time to conceptualize, to plot out what you want to have happen. Right. E.T., to me, E.T. is a game that I think is awful, but I don't think that it's the worst game ever made. I, I'm not, I'm not I'd agree one with of the, that the person who's... Uh, I try to stand against the hyperbole of the internet. There's mm-hmm. sort of this mentality of like everything is either a masterpiece or it's a dumpster fire. Um, but there's so much out there that's just in the middle. And I agree with you. Everything needs to be ranked. You see that every day. You see that every day. Let's rank uh, what Star Wars movies we like in order. Uh, let's... You know what's the what's the best? What's the worst? Right, and then they put the one at the best, whichever one that is for them, is the sure. the masterpiece, the greatest film of all time, and the one at the bottom is just the worst imaginable right. piece of it's film. Objective. Yeah, but it's it's like that sense of exaggeration is I think sure. of the the culture of exaggeration is I think a lot of what we get with ET. And again, I'm not I'm not even close to an ET defender. But <laughs> no, no, and I get you. I think I, I, I think basically the bottom line is we're in agreement with that. The game sucked, but it's not the worst game that was that was ever created. Yeah, and it's really not uh, Howard's fault. He only had five weeks to dev this game and program it, and the end result was what Atari had forced his hand to do. Right, it was five weeks of work in a very frustrating, very poorly coded game, yeah. and not one of my favorites. No. Well, I could see I would be skeptical of his abilities 
if it was the only game that he produced, E.T., but it's not. Right. It's not. I mean, he made Yars. And again, that's such an interesting observation that he made the, the best-selling exclusive on the 2600, and then he made this game that fills a landfill. <laughs> so to speak, yeah, yeah. literally. Yeah. Uh, other thoughts on Howard? I would have liked to have seen him go further in video game programming and development. Mm-hmm. I know he works as a therapist now um, in California. I don't even... The last game that he produced was actually sold as an exclusive uh, through Atari Age. It's called Saboteur because okay. Atari pulled the rug out from under him and changed it to an 18 IP. Um, and the game never got produced and never came to fruition the way that Howard wanted it. So Atari Age, it, and I have it and I've tweeted it and I'll tweet it again. Um, one of the better games that the Atari 2600 never had. Hmm. I would have liked to have seen him gone for gone, uh, further his career, um, whether it was with, with Atari or not, whether he um, left gaming during that crash and came back with the giant Nintendo, mm. the revival of, of game, video gaming. And there's still the big boy on the block right now. Yeah. Uh, I wish Atari had done the same thing. The fate of Atari is, I'm not going to say it's bleak, mm-hmm. but um, they've had some success with, Producing titles for third as a third party for a lot of the consoles that are out there now, but uh, they're having a lot of problems uh, getting this VCS up and running. Mm. Uh, have you been keeping up with that? Yeah. So tell me a bit more about the VCS, especially for those that may not be. Uh, I don't know if I know any more than anyone else. Oh, <laughs> it's kind they, of they, a mystery, they, right? They, they, no, they're kind of being secretive about mm-hmm. it. I mean, is this going to be a machine that uh, can emulate the entire the entire Atari 2600 catalog, that that that's not a heck of a lot uh, to to recreate, and it's already being done through various releases and emulation and everything else. Right, right, right. What what new games it can do? Yeah, that's kind of the big question that I had too. I remember I looked into the VCS, um, and then forgot about it, and then woke up one morning and was like, Have they ever released the VCS? And then I look it up and I'm like, yeah. no, they didn't. No. And, and it's and I, I think it started as a kickstart. Oh, really? I'm I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. I can look it up. Uh, uh, but just think about that for a minute. If it did, I think it did. Atari needed a kickstart hmm. to get a new machine up and running. Golden it Age Giant. Defies logic. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. I would have loved to have worked at Atari back in its heyday. <laughs> That would have been a dream come true, let me tell you. Um, but the this new machine, I don't know. It's been under production for a long time. There's not a lot of information for future purchases like me and fans uh, to, to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, other than, you know, pictures of what the peripherals look like and what the machine is going to look like and what it may do. Yeah. So. And the machine looks interesting. You know, it mm-hmm. has this cool kind of retro slash modern vibe to it. Um, yep. I remember seeing a screenshot that showed uh, some kind of a UI or a menu. Um, and then also it could, you know, it was showing footage for uh, asteroids. Um, but that was my big question is what is this going to do? That's new. It would be pretty cool to have a device that's new that you could, you know, play any Atari game on. But a lot of people 
it's not it's not hard to find Atari games. Um, no. There's a local game store that just opened up recently, and I was in there talking to them about you know how they get their merchandise and would they be interested in buying some of the the doubles that I have. And the guy goes, "Yeah, we'll buy anything except for Atari." And I laughed because I was like, "It's it's that common. It's that common, huh?" He's like, "Yeah, we we sold like a batch of I I don't have the numbers on my head, but they they sold a batch of uh, dozens of games for for next to nothing because you know nobody would pick it up. These things aren't too hard to find. So then." You know, and given and again, there's there's you know the the collections that you can buy and and so on and so forth. It's not hard to find these. So then, what is the purpose of the VCS? Um, but you touched on on something that had to do with the the fate of Atari, and I want to talk about that for a little bit with you. Um, Atari, maybe as recently as last year, uh, to my mind, Atari was kind of like this villainous organization. You know, there's the whole uh, all the things that went down of lawsuits between them and Nintendo and right. and all these things that were happening. And then there's the, the North American uh, video game crash that has kind of been uh, fantasized and legendized. That's not a word, but you know what I mean, <laughs> in the minds right. of popular culture. So you've got, you know, everybody knows E.T. and there's Atari 2600 Pac-Man and these games that... So to my mind, kind of being, being caught up in the pop culture perception of Atari mm -hmm. as someone who was born in 1985 um, and missed some of the Atari age, um, it, I'm only kind of coming back and discovering kind of the gems that were on the 2600 and finding its place in this rich tapestry of gaming history. Uh, but it, it seems like they hit a point where they started to develop their fate in a certain direction. Um, and what do you think are, are the biggest, the biggest contributors to Atari's ultimate fate? See, Atari was about a lot of first too. Um, mm -hmm. So they started, yeah, I mean, they, they, they changed a lot um, uh, early on about the way that video games were, were marketed, mm -hmm. the tech, the delivery model, that basic concept of on how they wanted to market, you know, uh, games to the game gamers, and 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 they started this this huge industry that was like you know bigger than Hollywood, so to speak. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, one in three households had a twenty six hundred. I mean, it was just it's crazy. Yeah. And their contributions uh, to the gaming industry are again some things that I'm discovering yeah. now, and that's that's amazing stuff for sure. So I think the future of Atari is going to have like you know. They're gonna have a niche with with certain gamers. It's gotta gotta boil down to a lot of maybe age versus taste, um, like me. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, um, I think they could probably continue to make good games. They did, like I said, they did good as a third party developer for a lot of consoles. Mm -hmm. On their own, I don't know, and I'm just that's just my gut reaction. It pains me to say it as someone who has been collecting and playing Atari for most of his video gaming life mm -hmm. and still holds it very close and near and dear to my heart as being my, my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I just don't know. I would, I would hope that they would be innovative enough, which is what their principle was in the very beginning mm -hmm. to add innovation and imagination to gaming and come up with original IPs 
or enhance some of their old old classics. Can you imagine a 2019 version of Yars? I mm. think it would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. You know, there's a lot we'll of see. possibility. Yeah. One of one of the big uh, kind of questions to my mind when we talk about the future of Atari, the fate and the future of Atari, uh, is it's hard for me to see that there's room. It's kind of a weird way to say it, but that there's room in the current sort of sphere yeah. of competition, right? Because you've got Microsoft, well, yeah, you the, Sony, and Nintendo. Right, the three, the three big boys on the block, right? Right, right, right. Now, mm -hmm. certainly there's other things. There's other, you know things happening there's this thriving indie scene there's you know google stadia that that's starting to um get people to talk but even with that i'm like google google <laughs> google of all people is there room for you to kind of butt in into this competition where you have these big three that kind of represent a bunch of different things and different ideas uh is there room for Atari if they were to try something new? That's it. That's just the way that you phrase that, I think, is what's going to put Atari head and shoulders above the rest Be by being different. Mm -hmm. By offering the yeah. game player something that's exclusive and is not a multi-platform release. So, you know, you, you got, let's take Call of Duty, for instance, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, any number of these multi uh, platform releases. It's it's released on Switch. It's released on PS4. It's released on Xbox One, and you know basically it's offering the gamer a choice to play it on any platform. Uh, they're basically very close in terms of quality and and, and, and gameplay and, and resolution and all that stuff. What's Atari gonna do? Not not release that. Not get involved in that game. Mm -hmm. Release Atari games. So you're saying not get into Activision games uh, and 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 multi-platform games. Release Atari games right. exclusively. Atari games, right? And that's gonna want to make people buy that system. Want to know why? Because you can only play Atari games on an Atari system. You can't play them anywhere else. Yeah, and that. So you're saying that their strength is going to be playing to exclusives, then essentially. Yeah. yeah. And and essentially, that's what they did, which made them successful the to begin time. with. Now, I mean, you know, people can make the argument that, you know, a handful of devs like David Crane left and made the giant Activision, which produced by far some of the best gaming on Atari 2600. Absolutely. And then you had the Imagic guys. Uh, you had the Parker Brother guys that all produced great games on the 2600. They were, they were not Atari-owned companies. Um... But there were games that could only be played on that system. Mm. You know, and television, it was out, had a handful of the Atari 2600 games that were being played, but uh, I, I don't recall the, 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 the Odyssey having a very extensive uh, library that was close to the 2600. Mm. It's, a hard, um, it's a hard thing to say, right? Because I, I think yeah. in terms of, so like the Super Nintendo, uh, is kind of remembered for my that's my favorite console but it's kind of remembered for having these incredible exclusives right final fantasy right. 6 super mario world super metroid so on and so forth uh but then you get to n64 and and systems like uh the wii u where some people try to make the case that these systems had a sense of irrelevancy 
because of an over-reliance on first-party exclusives. So I think that history kind of has both sides, interestingly, where you have some consoles that really were popular because of their exclusives, and then you had some consoles where the narrative became... Uh, it's difficult for third-party developers to develop for these, so we'll move those okay. exclusives to other consoles, like with the N64 and the PS1, uh, Final right. Fantasy VII being an example. It's one of those things that's that's tough because it's it's so tough to see that future. Right. But what were you going to say there? Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's the way they market them, too. Look yeah, at, um, that's true. But, you know, Nintendo, um, they put out... Um, they put out a lot of games that are, have already been on other consoles and are now coming out as, uh, you know, physical, final physical releases mm -hmm. of games that people wanted to play on that on that platform. But w what does Nintendo do that better than anybody that Atari could probably replicate? And that's whet the appetite of the gamer. Mm -hmm. So you got these first party exclusives like the Marios mm -hmm. and the Zeldas, and they take their time. And they develop them. And they know they're going to sell. And when they hit, it's lightning in a bottle. And I think that Atari could probably do the same thing. Maybe they'll want to venture out and have 30-party development. But I think originally, if they picked this system to have a, 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 a retro Atari on it, an Atari-exclusive gaming, and that's their concentration, people are going to want to want to play it. Because hmm. they're not going to be able to play it anywhere else. I could pick up any game and play it on my Switch that you could be playing on your PlayStation 4, just about, with the exception of first-party uh, exclusives. Right, right. Um, where's the fun in that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think... I, I, I think that's that's possibly, you know, Atari's greatest strength. Stay innovative and original. Hmm. And I think if they do that and they walk the straight and narrow, they'll earn gamers back. Hmm. And then they can stretch their legs a little bit. Hmm. Well, hopefully they're listening. <laughs> Cause that's good. Advice. Yeah. Could be. Call yeah. me. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question from J Torto 40, uh, AKA the slipstream mage. Awesome dude. Looking forward to this mage cast. He says more old school stuff. My question is, how do you think the current landscape of gaming would look today had Atari tread more carefully in 82 and 83 and the U.S. video game crash had never occurred? Well, that's a huge mm. question. Yeah. <laughs> how, how would the landscape look today if the uh, U.S. crash had never occurred? I don't know. I, well, I'll tell you what. I, I, I don't think Nintendo would have jumped off that start line to be the giant that it became mm. uh, as quickly. They're solely, I believe, responsible for the rebirth in gaming after the crash. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense, yeah. There's a lot of people in Europe who would probably disagree with us, but <laughs> but in, <laughs> in North America, at least, uh, which remains a, you know, a, way to put a, it. a gigantic consumer base. Uh, Absolutely, and still today. I mean, Atari wasn't, was was not the sole reason for the video game uh, video game crash. Did mm -hmm. they have a hand in it? Sure. Yeah. Well, There's like poor planning no, uh, and marketing and people got bored with the games. Yeah. And... No, you, a perfect example of what you're saying. So Atari is probably the biggest giant from from that time, biggest giant. <laughs> they're they're gigantic right. uh and and front line, but then you also had 
and television. You also had uh, Odyssey. You also had all these different units. And going back and looking at the first generation, the second generation of console gaming, there are so many systems that were out. I just discovered the Vectrex recently and and right. I managed to secure one. But that was oh, when I was one. like, yeah, no, I've got a, yeah, I've got a Vectrex. Uh, you should come over and play wow. it sometime, dude. <laughs> I would love to. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Something I've never owned. It's on the bucket list to, to, to acquire. You know what? So, uh, yeah, quick story. How I got it was I was watching Gaming Historian, uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, uh, with a friend of mine who was, you know, we were just sitting on the couch. And I'm like, oh, check this video out. This is like such a bonkers idea for a, a console uh, that was basically just a mini CRT that you could draw on. It had a light pen. It had 3D goggles. It was vector display. Uh, and right. he goes, oh, I got one of those. I was like, yeah, right. This guy's like, huh. you know, almost 10 years younger than me. <laughs> I was like, come on, dude. And uh, and he's like, no, seriously. Like my dad found one when he was cleaning a house out, uh, renovating or something like that. And it's in my garage. Well, no, I offered to buy it from him. <laughs> is what happened, and, you, and I, uh, I was like, uh, "Do you want to sell it?" He's like, "Well, let me ask my dad." I bought it off of him for fifty bucks. Oh, you stole it? No, I did. <laughs> vintage gaming piece? Are you kidding me? Yeah, they're very rare to find. They're extremely rare to find and phenomenal to work in condition. Yeah. I've come across many of them where either cracked screens yeah. or power issues just because the design again the design is one of the and this thing's heavy but it has like a it handle is. on it i was like are you joking that they actually thought anybody was going to carry around a small tv like it's kind of a, it's ridiculous but it's it's a the birth of handheld gaming right <laughs> it's a fascinating piece of of uh gaming innovation and ideas but yeah. it's clear why it d it didn't take off. So, no. and I bring that up again to emphasize that I agree with you. I don't think that the crash was entirely Atari's fault. Um, you also had things like the Vectrex, which was apparently like super pricey when it hit the stores at Sears, and it was the Neo Geo of its time. Yeah, and just like nobody had the time or the inclination or the money for it, and so no. it just tanked. You know. Uh, now they're super rare and people want one, but you know, back then it was different. So <laughs> I'll tell you what doesn't tank though is you touched upon it. I touched upon it was Nintendo. Hmm. Now Nintendo comes in, revives, revives gaming after the crash. Still one of the top three uh, gaming companies in the world. Sega, gone. You know, NEC, Turbo Graphics, gone. Yeah. Neo Geo. A lot of people that wanted the piece of the pie. I, you know, it's hilarious that Sonic the Hedgehog was developed as Project Defeat Mario. It was supposed to be about uh, carving out that um, that market share that uh, or that the hold on the market that uh, Nintendo had, um, right. and they did. You know, to an extent, uh, they never overtook, but. Um, they were able to, I think, help develop a market for uh, the older gamer, and then you had PlayStation stepped in. But it's interesting to think about what would have happened had the crash never occurred, had Nintendo not had that opportunity to kind of step in and revive mm -hmm. things. Um, had Nintendo never existed, would we have 
you know, the console wars between Nintendo and Sega, would we have had PlayStation? It's so hard to, to tell. And yeah, who knows, right? Yeah, and in, in, in that sense, who knows what kind of influence Atari has had over uh, over the gaming industry? Right, you don't know what they did behind the scenes. And they, like I said, they still they stuck it out for all these years as a third-party developer, mm-hmm. and still. So, I mean, they definitely, they have the groundwork to become great again. Mm. I believe that. Mm. I really do. A lot of people, social media, Sega, they're done. They're not coming back. Mm. You know, they'll release a mini, that'll be it. Or they'll release third-party titles for, uh, you know, PlayStation, Xbox, that'll be it. Mm. Uh, Sega never made the jump back. They never showed the initiative that they wanted to start developing new games. Atari's at least trying. Mm. They got this new system that's coming out. I just wish I could get more information on it. Mm. Right, you know? right, right. Yeah, uh, Sega is an interesting beast. I think that they they do, uh, they do still do some game development. Um, uh, Alien Isolation, yeah. I think, was Sega. Sega they worked with um, with Nintendo to do the Mario Sonic Olympics. There's a yeah, new... I think ju- Judgment Eyes, right, the new right, one that right. was just out. But, a couple of those, uh, yeah, yeah. But hardware is the is the big question, right? Uh, and same thing for Atari. It's like the hardware. If you're going to devote yourself to hardware, what can you possibly do? Because you're not right. going to be able – you don't have the resources, I think. Here's the issue. You don't have the resources to come out with the most powerful device. Uh, you already have Microsoft and Sony relying on years of of, of, tech, of yeah. tech and development and profits to mm-hmm. be able to invest in those things. But for mm-hmm. a newcomer – you're not going to be able to have that. I mean, look at Nintendo. Nintendo just gave up on trying to develop the the most powerful hardware. Instead, they went a different route and they keep, you know, they try new things with the Wii U and the Switch. They've tried yeah. kind of fusing handheld and uh, console gaming <laughs> together um, to mix success with the <laughs> with the Wii U and the Switch. But the Switch has been doing well. Uh, the Wii U not so it didn't do so well. But um, yeah, I think that you, uh, the point that you made was was solid. That it's going to need to be something innovative uh, if they break right. back in. It can't just be this is the next strongest, you know, piece of hardware. It's just it's not going to work like that. So here no. here's a question from Richard Troop: Do you think that Atari's fortunes could have changed in the mid late 1980s? If they had properly released the 7800 before the NES, so I've never played the 7800. Uh, yeah, that came out after the NES, then. Yeah, and it was the <clears throat> it was interesting uh, point. Um, it was wasn't even developed by Atari. Did you know that a company named GCC made the 7800? Nope, I I did yep. not know that. And it used the same audio chip as the 2600. So there's a little bit of backpedaling there. Okay. But it was the first video game machine ever to be backwards compatible. Oh, really? Yeah, it played 2,600 games. Great many deal of them anyway. Wow. But what happened What happened was there was, you know, was that design change with the 5,200 that, and the poor controllers that kind of like soured people. Mm. And then they wanted, they wanted to flood the market with this system. Backwards compatibility, sure, that was great. A lot of people already own 2,600 games. Mm. But then, what were you getting that was enhanced? Not the audio chip. It was the same as the 2600. You've already owned a 2600 hanging around. 
Why are you going to invest in this machine for the newer games that were coming in at a time when Atari was starting not to really care about producing anything? Mm -hmm. There weren't a, a ton of titles that were eye-catching, for me anyway, mm. uh, for the 7800. I don't actively collect for that system anymore. Mm. 2600, I did. I did for a while, and I got a small collection on the 5200 and on the 7800, but 2600 was a beast, and it just couldn't, couldn't be unsaddled. Mm. Mm. So, um, Good question. Yeah. Tough to answer. Yeah, that is tough to answer. I, I saw a 7800 in a uh, thrift store. Um, okay. They wanted, I think it was about 180 for it. Um, okay. I should have picked it up just to say I got one, but <laughs> I didn't have the okay. loose change at the time. Uh, what, what did it come with? It was in, it, it was in the a... box. Um, oh. I didn't pop it open. Uh, the box looked like it had been rained on for thirty years. So oh, yeah, right. it was it was tore up. Uh, and, and, and what did they want for it? They wanted one eighty. Um, I don't know if anything was working. I don't know wow. if you know all the original. Um, things were still in there, but it was a box, yeah. and it did say, you know, seventy eight hundred on it. That's crazy. Yeah, so, I mean, I I bought a boxed seventy eight hundred with about ten games for about two fifty. Okay, so, so yeah, that's ballpark then, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I did get ten games, and this was about this was last year. So, okay. I mean, I don't know. It, it's about ballpark, yeah. but it depends. It, what games are you looking to play on it? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> oh. it, it, it didn't come with any games, so I asked. Uh, oh, I didn't, no, yeah, really? I didn't pop it open um, to Here's look at it. Well, yeah, I was like, so I could have this thing, and then I could go home and face my wife and be like, hey, I spent almost $200 on like <laughs> a thing I don't have any games for. <laughs> I, well, I'll tell you, you, you you're going to want to play Xevious if okay. you ever pick that up. And you're a Centipede fan, not a bad port on the 7800, hey, I might say. I should check that and, out. And, uh, you know, you got games like, you know, Ball Blazer was fun. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they, had a few, they had a few games that, that were decent enough to play. You know, I just, again, it was, it was kind of, the one thing I think that they could have changed in the system was, was better sound development. They used the same sound chip as the 2600, so it was... It was not a great, great leap ahead in terms of of uh, tech in the system for for sound anyway. Mm -hmm. So well, what about um, some of the sequels and remakes for Yars? Um, so I found that they did a sequel for the Atari Flashback Two in two thousand five called Yars Return. Have you played that? I have. How's that one? I haven't played it in a while. Um, it's okay. It's a different. It's a, it's a, a little different from you know obviously the original. They're trying to continue the story a little bit. It's um sort. Have you played it? Sort of mm -hmm. three dimensional as opposed to two dimensional. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But it wasn't a true sequel. Um, Yars did have a sequel, and Atari chose not to make it. So this is not its true sequel. Mm. Yars Revenge. Two actually was was pitched and never got made. Mm. So, um, what what else have you found? I found uh, Yars Revenge 2011, which was a remake for Xbox Live Arcade and Windows. Um, and then I found uh, Yars Revenge First War, which was a prequel from 2011. 
Have you played any of those? I have not. Okay. So they're out there. Um, if anybody's curious, there's, uh, it, yeah, I jotted down a sequel. So you're saying a quasi sequel and not an official sequel, not a real sequel. Um, there's a remake, uh, and then there's a prequel. So 2005 right. and then a ladder two from 2011. So they're there. Um, so here's a, a question from ellipse Ent, who said, I want to know. What do you think are some of the most influential Atari games? And what do you think are the best Atari exclusives? Okay. You can't not include Atari's Space Invaders, right? That was the killer app. Mm. This is the second game I ever owned. And that came out, the craze hit. Everybody wanted to have that game. <laughs> um, there was a game that was developed, the second part of that question, there was a game that was developed by Nolan Bushnell at Atari called Secret Quest. And it was actually inspired by Nintendo's Zelda. Really? That's and it one was I haven't the heard fur, of. It, it was the most advanced and last, one of the last produced 2600 games. Had a game save feature on it. Actual game save feature. So you could continue uh, on an Atari game. Which was unheard of. Mm. So, yeah, they tried to... Uh, it was a space adventure um, type game. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a quest game like Zelda. It was pretty cool. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, the first part of Elitz's question, uh, you gotta, you got to say, you know, outside of the Yars and Space Invaders, I think Asteroids mm. uh, is definitely should be mentioned in Missile Command. Mm -hmm. These are all games that were early developed games which pitched certain game mechanics that are still carried through and as basic mechanics in some of the more successful games today. Mm -hmm. I mean, without getting into adventure games. At, pure at its action. Um, you know, space shooting type games. Uh, you know, Asteroid Space Invaders, Twitch games like that where your objective is simple and easy to understand. Uh, so, and then, uh, best Atari exclusive. Best Atari exclusive. Do you think it's yours? Yeah. 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 I think it's gotta be, I, I, I yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's, I mean, uh, Atari produced. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Well, yeah. Only appeared on the 2600 then, I guess is the. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I did play a great deal of uh, of Pitfall, so in Pitfall Two, um, uh, Sequest is another great game okay. that was made by Activision. It's sort of a uh, a take on Defender, but it's underwater. Okay. Um, uh, you know, uh, and I favored a lot of the Imagine games, Moon Sweeper, and um, and Activision's Beam Rider, all great games. But yeah, I'd say. In terms of an exclusive, I think Yars is probably the best one. Okay, so try Personally. Yars. Try Yars if you're listening. If not tried Yars before, uh, so this is from SMB Flurry, who said this sounds like it's going to be a great podcast. The Atari Twenty Six Hundred had some interesting controllers in addition to the standard joystick. My question would be, what paddle controller games would you recommend? Preferably for two players. Uh, Warlords is a good one. Okay, and that's one I've played, yeah. Do you like it? Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I The paddle controller is one that I have a hard time wrapping my brain around because it's just yeah, so and different. And it's also a four-player game. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. true. Warlords, yeah. Uh, Which was f- pretty unique at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like Warlords a lot. Uh, Solar Storm by Imagic is an incredible paddle game. And by the way, one of the only paddle games that was developed by by them because they were joystick gaming and they were a joystick developer and um that's a phenomenal game um a phenomenal game i i, I would say those two definitely high up on my list kaboom's really good too mm. and that's when i definitely uh, weren't, weren't a lot of uh of of, of two-player paddle games that i played out short of warlords okay so so warlords it is uh and that one's yeah i can vouch for warlords uh, but if you've got a paddle, there's a couple you could check out. Uh, this is from Jeff and Dan, who said, Yars Revenge, yes! The best of the most repetitive play classics ever invented. I can hear the one-bit sounds now. Played it for hours on end when it came out. Oops, age reveal. <laughs> this is from Three Wojis, who asked you directly, Cardiac. If you could only have one game for the 2600, what would that be? We're talking about it today. All right. It's Yars Revenge, hands down. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Talk to me next week when I'm on a defender kick. But, yeah, <laughs> it's got to be this one. Pitfall, Pitfall 2, you know, great games. Um, uh, you know, Asteroids always up there, Space Invaders, you know. Stay away from Pac-Man. Yeah. Well, there's a level of the replay value of a game like Yard's Revenge. These arcade styles. It's deep. Yeah, right, where you could just keep playing and keep playing and get better and get further. And there's no kill screen. There's no credit scene. There's no end to it. You just keep playing. So. And looking for that Easter egg. Yeah, and looking for the Easter Now i got to try it myself <laughs> if I could get further. Uh, this is from Retro Gaming Dev, who said, That is so cool. I love Cardiac Drop. I can't wait to hear the podcast. Uh, Atari question. What was CJ's first Atari game ever, and what is your favorite? Well, if there was only one game that you could have for the 2600, is your favorite Yars Revenge then? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Now, what was the first part of Nate's it question? Was, uh, what was your first Atari game ever? Oh, well, my system came with the pack in combat. So tactically, combat. that was the first video. Yeah, the tank game yeah, combat. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Technically, that was the first game that I ever owned. Okay. But the first game that I ever bought was Space Invaders. Uh, and that was the one that you wanted. <laughs> that was the one. That was exactly. I mean, the tank game was cool. Yeah. But it was a pack. It's not and Space it was Invaders. boring after about half a not space yeah. invaders for sure yeah. <laughs> so there's a reason and my third game that i ever owned was was a game called gunslinger outlaw i haven't heard of that one yeah it's pretty cool with two players two cowboys pitted on either side of the screen just gotta quick shoot draw, each other huh? over barriers yeah. and stuff it's a quick draw game yeah, that's cool. yeah. but uh yeah i'd say my favorite is, is definitely eyes revenge okay final question here this is from maxu abwfr uh, to someone pretty airtight concerning the old and austere Atari's universe, what is your unstoppable argument and which game 
for making him her change his or her mind for good. So I read over that, and I think what they're asking is, uh, yeah. what game would you recommend to somebody who was not familiar with the Atari 2600? Ah, okay. Um, so what games would I recommend to... Sort of like win somebody entice over. Entice yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. to play the Atari? I, I mean, I get this kind of thing. I play retro games all the time. But I get that right. somebody you would look at an Atari 2600 game or an NES game or a Game Boy game and be like, uh, because there's not visually, there's not a whole lot going on. And today these visuals can really astound and stun and shock. But how do you convey to somebody then that there are games still worth playing games that are really valuable that, that, that can offer great experiences. So what, yeah, what would you say to that? Well, some of the best video games on Atari, like we already talked about earlier on, are simple game mechanics with an intriguing theme, right? Mm -hmm. And what gives you know with that vintage flair of imagination. So, you want you want me to name specific games? Yeah, maybe um, give give the guy like two two or three games that would okay. that you think would change somebody's mind about Atari. Short of yars that we're beating to death talking about, I would say. <laughs> uh asteroids okay um, i can get behind that yeah missile command okay not et not et <laughs> no um pitfall was really good pitfall there's a uh, game we didn't mention that i thought was interesting which was spider-man spider-man really yeah one, I, one of your favorites no <laughs> but I thought it was interesting, though. Oh yeah, uh, um, yeah. I'm a huge Marvel fan. Okay. Um, you know, Retro GIF Monster and uh -huh. and Game Bruce will all tell you, I'm Donnie. Uh, they'll all tell you I'm a huge Marvel fan. I hate Spider Man on the Atari. Yeah. It's brutal. There's just something when it comes to Spider Man that people just can't get it right in a lot of their games. The last this last effort by PlayStation Four was amazing yeah yeah quite good and again we're, we're it's apples and oranges we're comparing the 2600 with playstation 4 but right here we are um, 30 years later yeah yeah but you know what uh Paca brothers made a lot of uh great games back in the day they had the star wars license exclusively ah uh, yeah. yeah so little old me i mean little old me little me <laughs> um bought into that whole wholeheartedly i wanted the play style was on the Atari, so I mean, you know, the concept of Empire Strikes Back is not great. It's mm -hmm. a rinse and repeat type of game that gets old very quickly. But man, I, I just thought it was it was great to be able to play that at home. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Defender's a really good game. The Atari port had issues. Uh, Stargate Defender Two is a better game, mm -hmm. but uh, that was also another one that I thought that was. Uh, regularly played by me and probably would stand out as something that would sell someone on the Atari. Mm. And then, you know, I mean, these are all, these are all first, first party games that I'm talking about too. There's a lot of, there was a lot of third party games that we didn't even talk about, like from Activision and Magic and a few of those other, you know, gaming companies that put out that, that were really stellar on the system. So there's, there's a couple games at least that you folks can check out. Um, I know that there are probably a bunch of folks who 
aren't too familiar with the 2600 um it's it's you know it's an older console um i only picked it up recently and started to tinker around with and play around with it myself what games do you have uh, there's a lot to explore i've got a lot of stuff um maybe what are we looking at 30 40 games here okay um lots of doubles uh i can see vanguard star wars uh demon attack smurfs golf donkey kong pac-man et yeah i've got a lot of stuff and i've not even come close to exploring it the one that mystifies me is journey um based on the band yeah um yeah which i was like wait 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 what <laughs> yeah so i played a little bit of that one it's kind of like an upward scrolling uh well you play dodging you, throughout the levels you play as uh you play as a member, one of the members of the band in each screen, escaping groupies. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Not Which is as <laughs> funny as heck. Yeah. Uh, concept of a game, really, really fun. Ridiculous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, CJ, thanks a lot for being on this episode. Where can our listeners find you? Um, I'm on Twitter at, at cardiac, Gerard, and I incessantly tweet about atari constantly i have two hashtags that uh, uh i try to post under every week atari tuesday and my own hash uh, which is atari appreciation you can find me on twitter at, at cardiac drop all right well uh thanks again for being on this episode and sharing your expertise with us <laughs> seriously it was fun it was fun yeah seriously because dude uh yeah again when i when i thought about doing an atari episode i knew there was one person that was right for the job i appreciate it and that was you sir no, so thanks for taking it. your time absolutely i had a lot of fun it was great well that's it from agecast the spell is wearing off but stick around for a promo about another show i would know you'd just love i hope you enjoyed this episode as much as i did if you liked it please like subscribe and share this episode to help us reach a wider audience if you enjoy our work, please consider supporting us and our vision for the future of civil gaming conversations with a monthly pledge of any amount at patreon.com forward slash the well-read mage. This episode may be over, but the legend will live on, passed down by the dwarves, the elves, and the dragons. Hey, stranger, buy me a drink and I'll tell you a secret. Thank you. Now, about that secret. If it's video game and video game music discussion you're after, seek out the Little Fella Media Network at buzzsprout.com. Legend has it that there is a podcast there, hosted by a skeleton, known as the ABXY Mage, from thewellreadmage.com. Go. See for yourself. It's called Side Quests. And it's about video games and video game music. And if you are leaving now, take me with you. <laughs>